as you can see today, we are reading um, from John 6, but we're starting in verse 60. So that is a lot of a chapter that we need to talk about before we start today. So here's my attempt at a one-minute summary of the whole chapter of John 6. So if you look in your Bibles, the very first thing that happens is Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now that 5,000 is actually more like 20,000 because there's 5,000 men, but then they didn't count the women and children in that number. So there's thousands thousand people that Jesus miraculously feeds. And then the first thing that happens after that is his disciples get on a boat, you go across the sea, the Sea of Galilee, they hit a storm, Jesus comes and calms the storm, and then they get to the other side, they retreat for a day, all those people wake up and realize that Jesus has left, and they decide, man, that guy was pretty awesome. I need to go find him. Wherever he's at, I'm going. So they get their own boats, go across the sea, and they show up, and you think Jesus would be super excited, super proud of them for their persistence. But instead, what you see is Jesus rebukes them. He says, you came because I filled your bellies, but I tell you, I am the bread of life. If you really want to live forever, you need to come eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Right? You all handle that really well. Normally I tell college students that, and they're like, what? Like, is Jesus a vampire? Like, why, why am I supposed to eat his, his body and drink his blood? Like, that's super weird. And if you feel that way, you feel like, you know, everyone else, because that would be super weird the first time you heard it. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's actually using a physical model to show us a spiritual reality. But you can imagine, the first time you heard this, it probably didn't sound that way, Right? We have 2,000 years of history to help us understand what Jesus is talking about here. But these people heard this for the first time, and they were freaking out. So when we read in our passage today, that is what's going on. They're very confused. They're at a loss. They understandably are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't get it. I don't understand. So we start here in verse 60, and you see that exactly happening. It says, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father, God, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that as we saw this morning with Mills, that you have set your love on us before we could do ever, ever do anything to deserve it. I thank you that you are a God who has come, who has laid down his very own life to have us broken sinners. Lord, I pray today that you would reveal these words of life to all of us. That as we hear your word and we hear a broken vessel preaching, or that you would work in it in a mighty way, and that you would bless us with your will and your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, like the disciples, I'm sure many of you have heard hard sayings, right? There is 
several things you've heard from a boss, from a spouse, from a friend, that you thought, man, that's really hard. Either I, that doesn't make any sense to me, I'm very confused by this, or no, that makes perfect sense, but I don't want to do that. Like, that's, I get it, I understand, but no, I, I don't want anything to do with that. Well, even God's command sometimes can feel this way. It may seem counterintuitive or too hard to follow, even if it is true. And if one of those things is eating someone's flesh and drinking their blood, you're in the right place today. See, we take for granted, like I said earlier, that every time we take the Lord's Supper, this is what's going on. That we're experiencing a spiritual reality with a physical description or model. But for these folks, this would have been crazy. Right? If Marshall stood up here and said, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be saved, you have to be a cannibal. Right? We would all run out the door. We're not crazy enough to think that that's what it takes to be saved, but that sounds like what Jesus is saying here. So it makes sense when you hear, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? It is a hard saying. Right? They didn't understand what Jesus was trying to say, so when they heard this hard saying, they didn't know what to do with it. So what do they do? They leave. Now, we could be quick here to dismiss these people, the, these folks who had been following Jesus, who had just sailed across a sea to hear from him, only to be rebuked by him for doing what they thought would be surely a good thing. But I want us to see first today that not only are we like them, but Jesus knew that we would be like them before we were ever even born. Before Jesus ever prepared us to walk on this earth, he knew that we too would abandon him for the other gods of this world. You may ask, how can we be so sure? How could God know from day one, before He even made us, what we would be like? Well, for one, He did make us. He is God. He does know everything. But two, this is the story of God's people over and over and over again. The history of His people is this, that in spite of His deliverance and provision, they constantly turn from Him to other gods. And they persecute all those who God sends on their behalf. From the prophets to his very son, they put to death all those who should bring them life. And this isn't just a story of God's people in the Old Testament or of these false disciples here, but it's our story too. If you think about your own life, I'm sure it's easy to see the things we're most ashamed of are our turnings from the Lord time and time again. Even though he's been so good, so gracious in many other seasons, we too are like these false disciples and walk away to other gods. We are stiff-necked people exchanging the truths about God for a lie, peddling half-hearted obedience, which leads to death. As we read from Isaiah today, the story of God's people is just that, that they had the option. They had been given God over and over again. His mercy and grace were lavished upon them time and time again, and still they turned to the gods and the nations. The Babylon and Chaldea, they were called into obedience by discipline. They were set as slaves in those lands, and yet... Even when they're freed, they're so quick to turn back to those gods. So, there's a great question. Why would God put up with any of us? Right? If His people are all so bad, they have so much nonsense going on, why would He ever stay with us? Why wouldn't He just pick someone new, someone better? Someone who would follow His rules and laws and who He could be proud of all the time. I mean, look at our verse. 61 says, He knew that they were grumbling. 64 says that there were some who did not believe. And then 70 and 71 tell us Jesus already knew Judas is the one who would betray him. But Jesus isn't surprised by the grumbling. 
But again, why would he not just pick someone new? If we're so messed up, so broken, why on earth would he ever choose to stay with us? If we leave him so often, why would he be faithful? But friends, it's because he set his love on us. In spite of all our brokenness, he has looked on us who deserve death and proclaimed life. I don't know if y'all have ever seen the movie Gladiator, um, but that's what I picture uh, whenever I think about God very often, that this great movie, um, it's all about the gladiators in Rome, and um, these men have been captured, or they've been sold into slavery, or they are um, the enemies of Rome who have been captured in a, in a battle, and they're thrown in this gladiator pit and forced to kill each other to survive. And there's this moment over and over again in the movie, historically, that whenever one gladiator has the other one ready to die, he stops and appeals to Caesar. And Caesar would be sitting up somewhere, and um, everyone in the arena would turn to see what the Caesar would say. And Caesar had two choices. He could either say, let him live, or let him die. And this, this Caesar, again, all these people are his enemies, right? They are people he's arrested. They've been given this sentence for their crimes. Something has happened for them to be here. They are not the good guys. Okay? In the Caesar's eyes, at least, they are the enemies of Rome and of Caesar. So naturally, he almost always gives a sentence of death. What they deserve is what they get, and they are going to die. And if we're honest, our king, King Jesus, holds that same power, right? He is the one who gets to make the decision whether we live or whether we die. And he is justified in pronouncing that same decision upon us, right? If God justly gave us what we deserved, he would give us death every time. But is that what Jesus does? Is that what God does with us? Jesus, instead of pronouncing death upon us, looks at us who deserve nothing but punishment and issues life. What kind of king does that? Not only did he declare life, he doesn't just wipe our slate clean, cancel out our debts, no, he steps off his throne, walks down the Colosseum, steps into the arena, and dies on our behalf. Again, what kind of king does this? No earthly king. Not you or I. But man, give me that king. Give me that king who lays down his throne for his people. Give me that king who pays the price that his broken people could never pay. Give me that king who looked down on you and I, saw that we didn't never could do enough to deserve his love, and said, I'm still going to lavish it on you. I'm going to give you far more than you could ever deserve. That's our king. Now, maybe those disciples heard the sermon today. They might not have left him, but they didn't. You see that in verse 66. In spite of knowing this king and walking with him, many of them turn back and no longer walk with him. So Jesus turns to the twelve, his closest friends, and says, you want to go away as well. You see, Jesus knew what was going to happen. Down to the last person who would walk away, the last one who would betray him, he knew who it was. And yet, he turns and asks him the same question. But really, this question, will you leave me too, is not so much a question or a rebuke, it's more of an invitation. Jesus says, not will you leave, but 
Will you stay? See, Jesus had uniquely called these men to what he was doing. All but one of them were going to be the foundation of the church. The eleven minus Judas were going to be the apostles who would go forth and take the church to the rest of the world. But in this moment, all of them seemed to be torn with the same question. I don't know. Should I leave too? It's ringing in their ears what they should do. I don't know what really Jesus is talking about here. But I've seen him do some amazing things. I don't really think he means he wants us to eat them, but it sure sounded like that, and that's crazy. I'm not doing that. I think he is who he claims to be, but I'm not sure I can live up to what he's going to say next. I think he's the one, but what if I'm wrong? Friends, the disciples had lots of questions too, even doubts. What we experience today is not new. And Jesus wouldn't have asked this question if there wasn't at least some reason to consider walking away from him. But I think this is really good news for us. That Jesus asked this question. That he gives them the space to have doubts and questions too. Because if he's willing to let them do that, it means he's got some room for us to do it too. And if we're honest, all of us have doubts and questions. All of us have things that are really hard sayings from God or from his people. That it's really hard to imagine walking with Jesus when he gives us some of these really hard things. Or when we suffer. So it's really good news for us. We can continue to follow Jesus even when we don't understand everything He's saying. Even when there's doubts and things that we are not sure about, we can continue to walk with Him because He is with us even in those. It's good news because that means He feels the same way about us. He lets us sit in really hard questions to wrestle through these things that make little sense to us. He is so long-suffering that sometimes it even makes us angry. He's willing and desires to endure the pains and frustrations of this life with us, including when they make us doubt His goodness and His ability to care for us. Last fall, um, it was one of the hardest seasons of my life for many reasons, but um, the first of which was I had a student that I was really, um, really liked, and uh, he was just a great dude, and he passed away. 18 years old, no one ever expected it. In a moment, he was gone. Weeks later, Morgan and I had a miscarriage. and In the midst of that time and for the months since, I've had to wrestle with God and what these events say about him. Is he really good? Is he really in control? Does he really care? And at many times, I haven't felt close to him. I didn't have answers. He didn't give me a clear direction to go a lot of times. But what I know to be true now, just as much as it was then, is that His Holy Spirit and His church has never left me for a second. He has suffered with me for months on end and has been faithful to carry me when I cannot carry myself. Time and time again, when I had doubts and questions, when I wasn't sure what He was doing, when I felt betrayed or unloved, He was still there. Even when he felt far off, I can look back now and see that he had never left me. He never asked me to carry weights I couldn't carry myself, but instead carried them for me. And all that time, he was faithful to give me the space to ask those hard questions, to let me sit in them, to have really hard doubts and fears and to not know what comes next. 
But the reason I chose this passage today was for what comes next. This is what I've clung to for months and months is Peter's response here. You can see in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. He says, where else could we go, Jesus? No matter what you say, no matter what you ask, no matter what you command, we cannot leave. There is no one like you. Nothing else in this world works but you, Jesus. We've tried it, we've tasted and seen, there is no one like you. You have the words of eternal life when everything else leads to death. Peter echoes what anyone who's met Jesus knows and understands. There will always be hard sayings. He has promised suffering, and there are many things that he'll ask us to leave behind. But at the end of the day, Jesus has the words of eternal life, and there is nothing that that wouldn't cost to give up. Nothing would fall short of being worthy of the cost of forsaking those things. Peter has staked his life on Jesus. He is betting the house that he really is the Holy One of God. And so am I. And that's why this news only gets better. Not only did Jesus love us enough to die for us, but he actually has the authority and the power to pull off what he commands. Jesus doesn't give us empty words to make us feel better. Instead, he actually was God in the flesh. He came with a distinct purpose of dying for sinners. He created the world by the words of his mouth and sustains it century after century and has the power to do whatever he wishes, including taking on the form of man, dying on a Roman cross, and paying the sin debt that we had incurred by constantly turning from him. See, for much of my life, I've chased after things I thought would satisfy me, whether that was achieving some goal, finding the perfect relationship, having the approval of my friends, being respected for my own righteousness. All those things I tried again and again, and each and every one left me suffering and searching for more. I was let down every single time when I got exactly what I wanted and it proved not to be enough. I was seeking for eternal life and temporary things, things that couldn't carry me. They were idols just like the golden calf of Israel. I had made these things out of my own desires, out of my own thoughts, what I thought would be enough. But every time I tasted and saw, they weren't enough. But then... I met this man Jesus again, a man I'd heard about my whole life, that I believed to be true, but I didn't understand what it looked like to actually walk with him. And when I tasted and saw that he was good, eternal life was something I found in him and not myself. And it changed everything. I'm not really on social media, um, to be honest, so I don't ever know what's going on in the world, but I'm on Twitter now. And uh, almost exclusively for sports news, but it feels like at least once a day, there's someone on there tweeting, da, 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 whatever, huge of true. Or if this thing is true, it changes everything. You know, things like, rumor is Oscar's coming back, huge of true. Chick-fil-A's coming out with wings, if true, it changes everything. And friends, those things are very true, right? I mean, Oscar comes back, it's great for us. It's like basketball, Chick-fil-A comes out with wings, they're going to be glorious, but... 
What I'm here to tell you today is that Jesus really is the Holy One of God. He really does have the words of eternal life. And if that's true, it really does change everything. So my only application today is this. No matter where you're at, don't walk away. Nowhere else has the words of eternal life. Yes, following Jesus is costly. Yes, it will be hard at times. Yes, suffering is promised. But you know what else is promised? Life, joy, peace, hope, love. Whether you're investigating this Jesus we've been worshiping today, or you're in a really tough season, and though you believe that He's real and true and good, you don't really feel that way right now. If you're questioning the goodness or power of God to care for you, or you're just trying to figure out who this guy even is. Cling to him. Cling to his word. You've seen that the world has nothing to offer that's like him. It has let us down over and over and over again. But Jesus, Jesus is an anchor for our soul in times of trial. A comforter and a friend when no one else shows up. He's a bridegroom anxiously awaiting the marriage of the Lamb. We're all putting our hopes and dreams in something or someone. My challenge today would be this. If you're going to put your hopes and dreams and your faith in someone or something, why wouldn't you choose the one that's already died for you? The one that's paid the cost, that saw you when you were his enemy, and decided you were still worthy of giving life instead of death for his very own life at that. I pray that today you would ask that question. Like Peter, where else would I go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Show me. Show me who you are. Show me that you are worthy of following. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I too am so quick to turn from you to everything else in the world. That I've made idol after idol after idol. and Where they've all fallen short. I've tasted and seen that they are bitter and gall in the heart and soul of, of man. Lord, I pray that you would give us these words of eternal life day after day. Lord, that as we seek you and seek your face, seek to know you who has promised us everything, Lord, that we would be willing to give up everything in return. Like the man who finds a treasure in a field, that we would sell everything we have to buy that field to have you. That what you offer is worth so much more than anything else we could ever find. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to take a few moments. Uh to reflect. It's easy for us, I think, to kind of just move on to the next thing, uh, but it's good for us to stop, I think, to slow down and reflect a little bit on just on what we've just heard, uh, and after that, uh, we'll move into communion.